Today being Father's Day, let's take just a brief break through our study through the Acts to turn to one of the most uncomfortable passages we could look at for Father's Day. One of the most uncomfortable passages we could turn to is, of course, you all know what I'm talking about. Even if you haven't looked in your bulletins, you know what I'm talking about. Ephesians 5, the marriage passage. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. I think this is possibly the most uncomfortable passage that we could look at this morning. But regardless of our discomfort, let's take a look at it. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking this morning specifically at verses verse 23 and verse 25. But uh, let's read the whole passage together just to kind of get the context. Ephesians verse chapter 5. Let's begin reading from verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Again, One of the most uncomfortable passages we could look at because this passage could not possibly be more counter-cultural than it is. This passage speaks to us very clearly of the roles of the husband and the wife within the marriage. And Paul is speaking very clearly of roles that are different and distinct from one another. And that is an idea that our culture absolutely rejects wholeheartedly. Our culture rejects all ideas of differences between men and women, particularly differences in roles between men and women. If you are like myself and you've grown up in the day of the feminist agenda, then you have had it beaten into your head, as many of us have, about the complete equality and the complete sameness of men and women. And so you have been taught that men and women we're not to acknowledge any real differences, any significant differences between men and women, especially in the marriage and especially in the home. And yet when we turn to this passage, we're told of differences, very distinct differences between men and women, particularly differences in role that they fulfill within the marriage. And this is an idea that our culture finds very, very distasteful. In fact, Not only is Paul telling us of differences in the roles of men and women within the marriage, but he's also telling us of inequality in role within the marriage. Specifically within this language of submission. Paul uses this submit language. Two times he uses this kind of language from verse uh, verse 23. Wives, submit to your own husbands. And again, verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 
So Paul is using some language here that, that our culture finds extraordinarily offensive. And I think that by connection, many of us do as well. We are people that affirm God's Word. We believe in the inerrant, inspired Word of God. It is completely authoritative over our lives. It is without error. Yet even we will turn to this passage and have difficulty here. At the very least, we will get very uncomfortable with what this passage is teaching to us. Not only uncomfortable within ourselves, but uncomfortable in the idea of, of thinking that the, the world thinks that we believe this. The world is going to think that we're some sort of backwards thinking Neanderthal goons if we actually believe what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 5 within the submission language. And so this is something that we find extraordinarily uncomfortable. This is a passage of Scripture that I think often we would like to just sort of skip over and just ignore the fact that it's in our Bibles. And I think that that often happens. And the result of that is that if we neglect this passage, we will fail to have truly Christian, truly godly, Christ-honoring marriages. If we neglect the teaching on the roles within the marriage, we will fail to have truly Christian, truly godly marriages. And I think that is, is evidenced in many aspects of the church today. And so we don't want to be that way. We don't want to do that. We want to, we want to tackle this issue head on. We want to take the uncomfortableness of this passage and we want to just grab the bull by the horns and we want to see what God has for us today. We want to embrace this. Now, as we talk here of the uncomfortableness of this passage, I want to say this. Wives, I'm not speaking to you this morning. I mean, you, you obviously feel free to listen in. But this morning is Father's Day, and so I'm speaking specifically to the men. I'm speaking to the fathers. I'm speaking to the husbands. And so men, I believe that you are just as uncomfortable with this passage as your wife. I believe that the, the fact that you are a man and you're not the one being told be submissive in the relationship, I believe that makes you no less uncomfortable with this passage. I believe you are just as uncomfortable with verse 22 and verse 24 as your wife is. And I believe that for a number of reasons. First of all, I believe that you are just as uncomfortable with this as your wife because you know all the jokes. We all know all the jokes about how the wife is really the head of the home. She really wears the pants. She's the one who is the real boss. Mommy ain't happy. Nobody ain't happy. We know all those jokes and we know how we're supposed to play along with all those jokes. And then we turn to a passage of Scripture like this that goes completely against all of that and we're not sure what to do with that. Secondly, I think that you are uncomfortable with this passage because you, like myself, you know of a man who has abused this passage and perverted it and distorted it and used it to force ungodly submission from his wife. He has used this passage to condone an ungodly way of treating his wife. And so because you've seen that happen, you want to distance yourself from this passage because you're very, you're, you're rightly very uncomfortable with some ungodly submission that you've seen. So that makes us uncomfortable with this passage. And then thirdly, I think that we men, we are uncomfortable with this passage because we know it is the Word of God. And we know that as Paul speaks of this headship in the family, we know that this places upon us an incredibly significant burden. And we're a little bit uncomfortable with that as well. 
But men, let me just encourage you to just embrace this. Just Let's just grab this thing by the horns and let's just see what God has for us. And I assure you that God's perfect plan for the home contains nothing of which we should be ashamed, nothing of which we should be with which we, we should be uncomfortable, nothing that should cause us to distance ourselves from this passage. Instead, we should embrace this and rejoice over this. As as we look at this, open open your minds, open your hearts to what God has, the perfect plan for marriage. And as we begin this, we're we're going to be looking this morning. We're going to what I want to do is just dial in, get very specific on these two roles that Paul speaks of within the home. The role of submission and the role of headship. We're going to be looking this morning at the role of headship. And we're going to ask ourselves, do we really understand what that means? Do we really understand what Paul means when he says to us that the husband is the head of the wife? What does that mean? What does that look like? Now as we begin, I think the first place we need to begin is we need to clearly and definitively put aside some false teaching that comes out of this passage. I think that probably many of you this morning are like myself. You've heard this passage preached. and You've heard this passage taught in ways that absolutely strip it of its meaning. Here's what I mean. I have heard this passage preached and taught many times in ways that go something like this. When Paul says that the husband is the head of the wife, he doesn't mean what it sounds like he means. He doesn't mean what what it looks like. When he uses this word head, head of the wife, he's not meaning leader. He's not meaning someone in authority. He's meaning that the husband is the respecter of his wife. He's meaning that the husband is responsible for his wife. He's meaning that the husband is the security of his wife. Has anybody heard that? I've heard that many times. Now, men, let's just be clear. Are you the respecter of your wife? Are you to respect, you are to be the ultimate respecter of your wife. There is to be no human being on this planet that respects your wife more than you. Are you responsible for your wife? Absolutely. Are you to be the security for your wife? Absolutely. Those things are true, but this is not what Paul is saying in this passage. That's not his point. When Paul says that the husband is the head of the wife, he most certainly is speaking of spiritual leadership. That much is clear to us. Even just uh, just a, a quick reading of the passage tells us that must be what Paul's talking about. But let's not stop there. Let's let's see some biblical evidence of this. I've got in your sermon notes here uh, some passages from the Old Testament in which this same sort of phrase is used, head, and it's used to, to speak of one in authority or one who is in leadership. For example, Judges 11, verse 11. So Jephthah went to the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and leader over them. Now, I've also got in your notes here a whole list of other Old Testament passages that, that show us that same sort of concept using that same sort of phrase. Head means leader. But, you know, we don't even have to go to the Old Testament to see this. If we were to just flip backwards, maybe one page in your Bible to, to Ephesians chapter 1. Same person writing, same letter. He uses the same phrase here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. And He, meaning God the Father, He, God, put all things under His, Jesus' feet. God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church. Clearly, Paul means that Jesus is the leader of the church. Jesus is not the respecter of the church. Jesus is, is, not the, Jesus is the leader of the church. And so, 
Clearly, when Paul says that the husband is the head of the wife, he is speaking in terms of spiritual leadership. And so let's just, let's just really start to peel this thing back. Let's just really get specific and let's look, what does it look like? What does it look like for the man to be the spiritual leader? What does this concept of headship really look like? And let's compare all of this with the example of Christ. Because if there's one thing that's clear in the passage, it's this. What Paul is saying, everything that he's saying, he's grounding it in the example of Christ. He, he couldn't be more specific about this. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. See, Paul, Paul is not saying anything to the husband that is not grounded in the example of Christ. Or from verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. Everything he's saying to the husband here is grounded in the example of Christ. So what we're going to do is we're going to really dial in on those two statements. Verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. But specifically verse 23, specifically 23, for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church. And we're going to ask, do we understand what headship means? Do we know what headship should look like and what it should not look like? And let's look to the example of Christ to inform us about that. So, as we begin, I think the most basic thing that we need to understand about spiritual leadership is this. At its most fundamental level, spiritual leadership is not about what you do. Spiritual leadership is about who you are. Spiritual leadership is much less a function of what you do as it is of who you are. Spiritual leadership flows out of a man who is personally devoted to God and is personally going hard after fellowship with God on a very intimate, personal, and private level. Spiritual leadership must flow out of the man who is himself pursuing God hard. Let's look to the example of Jesus for this, okay? Jesus was a man who demonstrated for us a, a life that that pursued God, pursued fellowship with God through prayer, through meditation, through spending time with God. Take a look in your sermon notes here. I'm just going to go through these very quickly. Uh, from the, all these from the Gospels, Luke, Luke chapter 5. But Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Matthew 14, after Jesus had dismissed the crowds, He went up to the mountains by Himself to pray. When evening came, He was there alone. Mark 1, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Luke 6, in those days he went out to the mountain to pray. All night he continued in prayer to God. And we could go on, because the Gospels show us a picture of a man who pursued God, pursued fellowship and relationship with God, so much so that he would rise early in the morning. Sometimes he would spend all night in prayer, in solitude, in meditation, Spiritual leadership must be a function of that. Spiritual leadership is not so much a function of what you do as it is who you are. Now, now that doesn't mean that spiritual leadership is nothing about what you do. Because we're going to talk in a moment about some things that you do do as a spiritual leader. But much more so than what you do, spiritual leadership comes from who you are. As you yourself are pursuing God in your life, God pours into you what you need in order to be the leader of others. He pours into you those elements, those desires, those abilities, 
that flow out of you into others. That is what spiritual leadership looks like. The man who is not growing in Christ cannot lead others. Because growing others comes from people who are themselves growing. And so as the spiritual leader in the home, that is, that is more of a statement of who you are than what you do. You must pursue God diligently, consistently, aggressively in your personal life. Personal devotion to Scripture intake every day. Scripture memorization, prayer, meditation, journaling, evangelism. All those disciplines that we talk about, you must aggressively pursue those in your own personal way. You yourself must be devoted to God and going hard after God. You cannot fulfill your role as spiritual leader without that. That is the most fundamental aspect of all. Now, let me pause right here and say this. We're talking to the husbands this morning, but wives, this doesn't mean that you don't do this same thing. It doesn't mean that your husband pursues God and you don't. It doesn't mean that your husband intakes Scripture every day, memorizes Scripture and prays and all, and you don't. What this means, though, is this. As the husband pursues God in his personal life, God does different things in him than He does in the wife who pursues God in her personal life. As each partner in the marriage pursues God, God does different things in them. There is a different result from the pursuit of God by the wife than there is from the husband. As the husband pursues God, as the husband goes hard for God, what God does for him is God pours into him those things that he needs to fulfill his role to build him up as the spiritual leader. God pours into him the ability, the equipping, the desire to be the spiritual leader. As the wife, at the same time, goes hard for God on her own, God pours into her what she needs to fulfill her role in the marriage, what she needs to be the the submissive partner, the one who supports the husband in his leadership. God gives her the ability, God gives her the equipping, and God gives her the desire to do that. God grows each partner in the marriage into their role. God will not grow either partner out of their role or away from their role. He will grow them into their role. And so as each person goes hard for God in their own personal life, God grows them into their role. Now, let's look at this from the other side. Who here, who knows of of the, uh, the wife, probably all of us, who knows of, of a wife who just absolutely revolts against this? Vocally and outwardly. I ain't doing that. Uh-uh. No, I'm not submitting to him. That is the most direct indicator of a woman who is not pursuing God in her personal life. That is a clear indicator of spiritual immaturity because as God matures that wife, He matures her into the role that He has said that He designed for her. And so as a wife revolts against that, that's that's clear evidence that she's not pouring herself into God because if she were, God would be giving her the desire and the ability to fulfill that role. The same thing with the man. We all know the man who just neglects spiritual leadership, who just abdicates spiritual leadership in the home. That also is clear evidence, a clear indication that that man is not pursuing God in his personal life because if if he was, God would be equipping him 
enabling him and giving him the desire to be the spiritual leader in the home. Now, what about some biblical support for everything I just said? I think that we find it in other places, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, I think we find it in places um, not the least of which would be 1 Peter chapter 3. In 1 Peter chapter 3, the context of 1 Peter 3 is the godly marriage. And in verse 5, Peter says this, it's in your notes, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Now what's interesting about that verse is how Peter puts together both of those concepts I just talked about. He puts together first the concept of the godly wife who pursues God on her own. And he describes it as holy women who hoped in God. Hoped in God means that that woman, it, it was personally devoted to God, pursuing God, interested in fellowship with God, pursuing fellowship with God. Holy women who hoped in God. And then Peter fin- finishes that sentence by, by saying to us how it is that God causes that woman to fulfill her role by submitting to her own husbands. Both of those concepts are right there together in that passage. The woman who goes hard for God in her personal life, God builds her up into the role that He has designed for the woman. I think we also see this in the example of Jesus. These other instances, Luke 5, Matthew 14, Mark 1, all these other instances that tell us of how Jesus was personally devoted to fellowship with God. We could look at all those passages in context and we would see in those passages something else about Jesus. We would see His humility and we would see His submission to the Father in His role that the Father had set for Him. So as Jesus Himself pursues fellowship with God, God enables Jesus, if you want to think of it that way, to fulfill His role. So I see, I think we see plenty of biblical support for what I just said. As the man and the woman pursue God individually, God builds them into this role. But the point here, is the, lar- the larger point is this. We men, we cannot fulfill our biblical role as spiritual leaders in the home without growth. Growth, consistent growth that comes through significant amounts of time spent alone with God. Now let me just, let me just describe how I often see the Christian marriage work out, work its, work its way out. I see this in marriages around me. I see this, I've seen this in marital counseling. Here's how this often looks. The Christian man says, my leadership in the home is in physical areas. I will be the the leader in the home in everything physical. I will put food on the table. I will make sure that the house is kept up and safe. I will make sure that the vehicles are uh, roadworthy. I will make sure that our finances are secure. I will take care of the family in physical ways. And that's that's my headship. And then in doing so, the husband neglects spiritual growth, personal spiritual growth. Meanwhile, the wife doesn't. And the wife continues to grow spiritually, in fact, beyond the point that the husband is. Have I seen this happen? I've seen it happen many times. And so now the wife, the wife goes on to spiritual maturity. The husband has not, and the husband knows this. And then this becomes an area of difficulty for the husband's ego. Because the wife is more spiritually mature than the husband. And so the husband, in order to protect his pride, here's what he often says. 
That's spiritual stuff. That's woman's work. That's woman's work. All the spiritual thing. That's I'll leave that to the woman. I lead my family in these ways, and I'll leave that up to the woman. Anybody has anybody seen that happen? I've seen that happen far too many times. Now here's what happens, men. When you do that, what you are doing is you are making your wife into your spiritual mother. You have made your wife to be your spiritual mother. And men, that is not fair. You are forcing your wife to fulfill two roles. One of them is not even hers. You are making your wife perform double duty. And that is not fair. She's not designed for that. She's not equipped for that. God will not grow her into that role as He will grow you into that role. And so if you're doing that, then stop it. Humble yourself. Humble yourself and lead. You see how humility and, and leadership are connected? Humble yourself and say, I've neglected this. And I've got to play catch up now. I've got to play spiritual catch up. And just humble yourself and lead. And men, you'll be amazed. If you do that, you'll be amazed at how God will meet you where you are. And He will build you into that leader far quicker and, and far less painless, painfully than you, than you suspect He might. Just humble yourself and cast yourself upon Him and lead and God will do it. Now, what I want to do in the next few minutes is I want to just, I want to just think about what this looks like. What does it look like? What should we see happening when the man personally devotes himself to God and the man goes hard for God? The man pursues fellowship with God. What should we see happening? There's a, there's a lot of things that we would see happening in the home, but I thought this week of just three things. Three things that we should see happening as the man personally pursues God. First of all, God pours into that man the spiritual vision for the family. The man becomes the shaper of the spiritual vision, the spiritual goals for the family. Let's think of it this way. What is the most basic, the most elementary task a leader does? A leader leads. And when you lead, what are you doing? You are taking people from one location to another, right? If I, if I were to lead you from this room to the fellowship hall, then, then I'm taking you from one location to another. Or in other words, I'm defining the goal. I'm shaping the goal. The goal is to take you from A to B. And as the leader, I'm shaping that and, and defining that. That's the most elementary thing that a leader does. A leader defines the goal. A leader shapes the vision. We see Jesus, the, the example of Jesus in this. right? Jesus was the shaper of the vision for the church. right? From Matthew 16, verse 18. We know that passage. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Peter was not the shaper of the vision for the church. The apostles were not the, the shaper of the vision for the church. The early Christians, they did not have the vision for the church. It was Christ who had the vision for the church, who led the church. And so in a similar way, men, we are the shaper of the spiritual vision for our family, the spiritual goals for our family. Now, here's what that does not mean. That does not mean that you become the spiritual dictator. That does not mean that you become the, the spiritual domineering person in, in, in the family so that you are the only one that that 
says anything about spiritual goals or what you should do, what you should not do. That does not mean that at all. Because every good leader listens to the people he leads and every good leader encourages those he leads to give input. And so the spiritual leader of the home is open to input from all others in the family. However, what, here's what that does mean. As the spiritual, as a shaper of your spiritual vision of your family, folks, the, the buck stops with you, men. The buck stops with you. The spiritual goal stops with you. All those things that come up within your family, all those questions, hundreds and hundreds of decisions, hundreds of questions, all of them spiritual. What's the spiritual impact of this school? What's the spiritual impact of playing that sport? What's the spiritual impact of this occupation? What's the spiritual impact of living in this location? All of those questions, men, are spiritual questions and they're leader questions and they ultimately fall to you because as you devote yourself to God, God pours into you what you need in order to be the spirit, the shaper of the spiritual vision of your family. That's the first thing we see. The second thing that we see is that as the man devotes himself to God, as the man pursues God, God pours into him what he needs in order to lead his family to do the same. As the husband pursues God, he leads the family. He leads the wife, the children, if there are children. He leads them to pursue God on their own as they see the Father doing. Again, let's look to Jesus' model here. Jesus modeled a man who pursued God, who went hard for God, and He stirred up His disciples, His followers to do the same thing. In a similar way, men, that is to be your role in spiritual leadership. As your family sees you personally devoted to God, devoted to to the Scriptures, devoted to Scripture memorization, devoted to prayer, devoted to meditation, devoted to spending time alone with God, all those things, as your family sees that in you, they become stirred up to do the same. Now, man, let me give you just one very, very practical thing to do to begin this. Because this, this, if you are not being the spiritual leader in your home, you know what? This is really overwhelming. It's overwhelming to think about who you're supposed to be and how much different that is from who you are now. And so this can kind of be overwhelming. So let me just give you something very simple, basic that you can begin doing that will put all this, that will begin putting all this into place. And it's this. Men just simply do this. Just simply be the initiator of family worship. Just be the facilitator, the initiator of family worship. And if you just do that one simple thing, you'll be amazed at how much else begins to fall into place. If you would just be the one that steps up and says, listen, our family, we're going to worship together. And we'll talk about when we can do it and we'll talk about how we can do it, but I'm here to tell you we're going to do it. Just just do that, man. Because let's be honest, right? And it's hard to not be honest with your wife sitting right beside you. But let's be honest, right? Most of us fail in that area. Most families fail in that area. But man, if you would just step up and just say, we're going to do this. You'd be amazed at what falls into place. Now, here's one thing that's intimidating about that. When you think about the man as leading family worship, here's what we want to say. You know I'm not sure I know what to say. I'm not sure I know how to do that. I'm not sure that I can do that. Because that would be really awkward. That would be embarrassing. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I don't know what to say? What if I don't know how to do it? That can be very intimidating. And men, let me say this. 
as the initiator of family worship. That does not mean that you're expected to just open up your Bible and start spouting out biblical wisdom. That can be something just as simple as going to the bookstore and buying a devotional book and just saying, let's, let's just read this. Let, let me just read it and then we'll talk about it. Let me read it and then I'll ask your opinions and then we'll pray. It can be as simple as that. But man, step up and do that. You will be amazed. You'll be amazed to learn how much your wife wants that from you. Now, I'm not saying that it's always going to be easy. I'm not saying that, that if you just step up and lead in this way, that your wife is always going to make time and everything's going to just fall into place like that. But what I am saying is that your wife desires that from you. Your family needs that from you. And you'll be amazed at how supportive they will be when you step up and do that. Because that is our role, man. That is our role. Do you remember the garden? Adam and Eve are in the garden. And, and they sin and they fall into sin. And all. Remember the story, right? Who sinned first? Not Adam, but Eve. Eve sinned first. And then Eve convinced her husband to sin. But then you remember when God comes to confront them, who does He confront? Not Eve. He confronts Adam. Eve, Eve failed spiritually and God confronts Adam. Man, that should make your knees shake. Because what that tells you is that you will stand before God one day and give an accounting for how you led your wife spiritually. And so take that to heart, man. So we see that happening. We see as the man pursues God hard in his life, God, God builds him up into the shaper of the spiritual vision for his family. We also see that as, as a man pursues God in his personal life, God equips him to lead his family to do the same. The last thing I want to make note of is, is this. As the man personally devotes himself to God, God builds him up into the leader in reconciliation. The leader in reconciliation. Right? Reconciliation, being reconciled, you know, when there's differences and then people are reconciled back together. The man becomes the leader in that category. Because guess what? In families... Anybody have a family that, that never needs to be reconciled? Anybody ever have a, a family that you never have disagreements and sharp words and people need to be reconciled back together? Of course we have that all the time, right? The man becomes the leader in that category. The man becomes the leader in reconciliation. He becomes the one who steps out in front and leads from the front in reconciliation. Look again to the example of Jesus here. We were God's enemies we needed to be reconciled back to God. Who took the initiative in that? Not us. Jesus. Jesus took all the initiative to reconcile us back to God. We didn't even want to be reconciled to God. We liked being His enemies. We liked our sin too much. And yet Jesus comes to us and He initiates reconciliation. Now, here's what that doesn't mean. Men, that doesn't mean that you always have to be the one that says you're sorry. That doesn't mean that you have to accept all the fault and all the guilt. But what it does mean is this. It means that you pursue reconciliation. It means that you are quick to seek forgiveness when you need to be forgiven. You are quick to admit guilt when you have guilt. You are quick to accept responsibility, even in gray areas. 
You're quick to accept responsibility. It also means it makes that you make yourself easy to apologize to. Easy to seek forgiveness from. You know those people that are hard to apologize to? You know what I'm talking about? That, that you just know when, when you do something to offend that person and you know that you need to apologize, you just dread it because you know that they're going to make it hard. Men, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Make yourself easy to seek reconciliation from, easy to ask forgiveness from, quick to give it, be the leader in reconciliation and you will be Christ-like, you will be leading in Jesus' example. If you pursue God diligently, He will enable you to do that. He will equip you to do that and He will give you the desire to do just that. Men, do not forsake your calling. Do not forsake your calling. I have no doubt that every man here takes care of his family physically. I have no doubt that every husband and father here cares for the physical needs of his family. But men, that's not even half the ballgame. The most important needs your family has are spiritual. And God has created you and has raised you up and He has equipped you to be the spiritual leader. Do not forsake your way.